Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. back everyone to another episode of zach being congested on the believe in florida gators podcast i'm your host zach goodall uh you can find me on twitter at zach underscore goodall as well as my co-host brandon carroll you can find him at it's b carroll uh sorry we missed you guys last week there's been some stuff we're still trying to get figured out here as brandon is uh is now clearly in the fold and still some things that we're trying to figure out aside from that but uh we're going to be producing more regular content, and we figure there is no better time to record an episode than after what happened on Thursday night with Florida pulling in not one, but two defensive back commitments. And then two days later, they've got to take on the LSU Tigers in a game that, cliche as it might sound, just means more. Brandon, uh, thank you for joining me today. Feel free to say what's up to the people before we dive right in. Absolutely. Uh, I'm glad to be back. Uh you know, co-hosting this with you. Uh, I've had a great morning, you know, even though you didn't ask. I uh, went early to try to get a parking pass for my girlfriend for this weekend, uh, about an hour early. And then, you know, I show up to the office and they're not open. So I went and set out in the hammock for an hour, just in the, the beautiful Gainesville weather. Got to kind of embrace nature. I fell out of the hammock twice onto my butt on the dirt. <laughs> so that was just beautiful. But I feel rejuvenated. And I'm ready to rock. Don't pretend like you didn't dislike the weather at first because you texted me saying that you should have brought a jacket. No, 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 no. There's a difference between disliking the weather and just being cold. I was a little chilly. I'm I'm a Florida boy at heart. If it's not 75 and above, I'm I'm I need a hoodie. I need. I'm pretty sure. Time. So I'm I was pretty just... sure it's 75. It wasn't this morning. It was chilly. I'm pretty sure it's 75. I think the high today is like 78 to 72. 80. And I was out there at 9 a.m. So it was like 60s. It's probably 70s. Don't cap on me. We're getting Don't a little off. Like We're getting a little off. That being said, maybe we should wonder about if it's going to be, if there's going to be any effects from it being a chilly night in Gainesville on Saturday. But we can, uh, we can dive into that when we get into the LSU game. First, we do want to talk about these commitments. Before we get to that, a word from our sponsors. Uh, we're at the midway point of the season, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your football betting needs. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends over at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering info, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. It's always the fastest and easiest way to bet on your favorite sports and events like MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, golf, and of course, football head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit make sure to use our promo code b-l-e-a-v that's believe to receive your rewards bet online where the game starts please gamble responsibly brandon uh which commitment do you want to start with i mean we've got two really talented guys Entering the fold here in Florida's secondary in the class of 2023 in Bryce Thornton and Dijon Johnson. Two guys that were trending Florida's way for a bit of time, but 
ultimately they wanted to decide when they wanted to decide. And at the end of the day, Florida still gets two really talented guys. If you want to break down one and then the other, or just hit me with it. I'm just going to go in chronological order. Um, Bryce Thornton yesterday committed. Uh, he was supposed to commit at 315, but his teacher wouldn't let him out of class. Um, not like he was going to make a life-altering decision or anything. But um, he finally got out around 330 and announced his commitment to Florida over Alabama. And despite his ranking, uh, he is one of the better safety prospects in this 2023 class. He is a physical uh, downhill safety prospect. He can play uh, all across the secondary. Um, he's able to play in coverage as well. Uh, he's just very talented and a very versatile athlete. I think that, you know, the biggest thing that we've seen from Florida defensive back recruits, and this goes for D. John Johnson as well, is Patrick Tony and Corey Raymond's, you know, kind of propensity to target that versatility in the secondary. I mean, they got guys like Sharif Denson, Jordan Castell, Jakeem Jackson already in this class, and you see how they can play at so many different spots. They can play outside, they can play star, they can play safety. And having that luxury of being able to plug and play guys at all across the secondary is just going to be a luxury for Florida down the line. And I think Bryce Thornton is kind of the, um, I don't, how do you say the, you know, picture perfect guy in that area. I think he's someone that can bring that versatility. He's going to project to start, a, a, you know, playing safety, but I think he can also bring kind of that star talent as well um, to the star position if he can, uh, if that's where they, uh, you know, want to line him up. So that's the, one of the biggest things that he kind of said. And, you know, our, we, I talked to him after, I think it was either the Kentucky or USF game. I think it was the Kentucky game. Cause I know yeah. Florida was, uh, I, I think he was talking about how he, the loss didn't really affect him, but I just think that there was, you know, kind of this juice about him being able to be playing a versatile role and kind of see potentially see early time in a secondary that's shaping up to be one of the better classes in this 2023 recruiting cycle. Yeah, and, and he certainly brings a lot of range to uh, Connor Clark over at allgators.com with us highlighted it that he's a little undersized compared to some of the other defensive backs that Florida's recruited. You know, they really like speed and length, but what he's lacking in length, he certainly hasn't speed. Uh, we've seen him move all over the field in one of, if not, I believe the toughest division for high school football in Georgia. He's got nine career interceptions, 30 career defended passes, and he's only played three games as a senior. So you would imagine that number would go up pretty drastically if he was healthy all season long. Uh, but not to mention he is versatile. Even though at his size, he does like to come downhill, play the run, attack short passes, and tackle through with true form. It, I think that he's a slam dunk type of safety only because they've not really found safeties that are that versatile and bring that type of range. I think Kamari Wilson's close, but he was always more of that strong safety to star type of projection guy that does come downhill and play the short stuff. An athlete for sure, but we never really saw the true single high range for him, at least at IMG at that point in his career. And Thornton does offer that. And that's something that I think Florida's missed for several years. And they're going to try and recruit more guys like that. And we've seen that. I think Castell could do that, even though he's a bigger body, might come down and play slots a little bit more. But we're going to see, I mean, Aaron Gates, he's an example of a player like that. They don't even necessarily know where they want to play him because he does everything for his high school up in Georgia. But they like him at defensive back. 
and they could go really any way with him. They, he, I think he's got enough size and speed to play outside. He could play slot. He might be best fit as a safety just because of his build and lack of experience and coverage. But we'll see. I mean, I guess, as you were saying, that's the beauty of having six. Yeah, six defensive backs commit, uh, commits in this class. And we can move on to the next one then, too, with Dijon. Uh, I mean, what do you think of that? That's one that certainly felt like a long time coming. Absolutely. That's, I mean, not trying to kind of overshadow what, you know, uh, Bryce Thornton brings to the table. Like we've said, he's kind of one of the first guys Florida's has that can do both of both playing downhill and in coverage. But Dijon Johnson is the, you know, he's the guy from yesterday. I think that ever since he decommitted from Ohio State and even prior to decommitting from Ohio State, there was buzz that a flip to Florida was kind of imminent. Um, he was showing a lot of interest toward uh, the University of Florida and uh, kind of really bonding with Corey Raymond, the new cornerbacks coach at Florida. And now we're kind of seeing what this, you know, when everyone was talking about, oh, Corey Raymond's going to bring a defensive back university to Florida, back to Florida, whatever, however you um, are kind of aligning with that <laughs> you know, narrative, I should say. But I think the biggest thing about Dijon is that he's long. Um, he, he might not be the tallest guy, but he's a he's has very, you know, intangibles to be a very good corner at the next level. Um, I think that he'll see a um, kind of big role as a press corner just because of his physicality at the line of scrimmage. I think he's very physical. And he's someone that is very polished for a guy that is, you know, coming into the college ranks. So he's just another guy in this class that is uber talented. Um, but I think that if you look across the landscape of guys that Florida has pulled in, he's arguably one of the ones that is can be ready to play in a rotational role, at least when he gets into the University of Florida. And obviously you wrote a pretty in-depth scouting report. Um, on Dijon Johnson that you've had in, you know, in the vault for quite some time. So I'll let you talk a bit, a bit more about, you know, what he brings to the table for the University of Florida going forward. Well, sure. I, I think you summed it up pretty well in terms of his skill set. I'll add a point that I made in there that to me, when I look at him physically and athletically, not necessarily the same type of corner, but very similar athletically and physically to Kyrie Elam coming out of high school. It, almost an identical size and speed profile for sure. So as Florida fans, you know, you obviously have to love that kind of projection. And I think he can make, again, I don't want to say he'll be Kyrie Elam, two-time All-SEC all SEC player, but I think that if he continues to develop at the rate Kyrie did, he can probably produce similarly. I really like his game as a man cover corner. I think he can play cover three well, which we've seen Florida try and run quite a bit here compared to the last half. Um, but I think that aside from the football aspect of it, you have to look at it from the recruiting perspective. Sure, it wasn't the immediate flip from Ohio State that a lot of people seem to think after he visited for two days amid being committed to Ohio State back in July, but it's still a flip. He didn't visit anywhere else. He made it pretty clear that Florida was his leader the entire time. It was just, you know, there were some bumps in the road in terms of social media, I guess, maybe getting ahead of things. 
and and maybe that's what led him to pushing it back. He wanted to focus on some of his senior season before getting this thing done. But all things considered, again, it is a flip from Ohio State. It's keeping a kid in state from going to a school that can, uh, you know, usually is competing for the college football playoff. That's a huge win. You know, you can't really stack that up with any other commit in the class aside from Kelby Collins. But you're starting to see that trend now. When did you ever see that trend under the last previous, the previous coaching staff? That I, I feel like I sound kind of like a broken record and. I understand why people are frustrated sometimes with the results at this point, but ultimately it still comes down to the differences we've seen in recruiting. And we said it all along under the last staff. You're not going to get anywhere if you don't fix your recruiting. I think we're starting to see the results of that. And Dijon Johnson and again, Kelby Collins are huge examples of that. Absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest things, like you said, with Dijon. I mean, even with Bryce Thornton, I think you're getting the guys in. You know, there's still going to be people that only look at the stars and see Bryce as a three-star on most sites, and they're going to be like, oh, three-star university, whatever. But when you go and watch the film, when you see how talented these guys are, these are both blue chippers. I don't care whether, you know, no matter which direction you look, I think that if you sit down and you watch these two players, these are guys that can help and benefit Florida in its future in the secondary, which is something that they've obviously put a lot of emphasis into in this first kind of over recruiting cycle i think they've put a lot of emphasis into secondary and on the flip side they put a lot of emphasis into wide receiver and both of those classes are shaping up to be uh you know two of the better uh, position classes in all of the nation so with those two kind of leading the pack i think you'll get the likes of you know kelby collins and you know maybe a few other defensive linemen to kind of slide in alongside him um, i know uh you know john walker's visiting this weekend um uh, against lsu again He's committed to UCF and Florida's still pushing hard for him. You obviously got Jordan Hall out of Jacksonville that the, you know, Sean Spencer is pushing hard for Caden McDonald, someone that they've been looking at from Georgia. It's kind of, seems like it's a Clemson and Florida battle there. So you're just kind of having these guys that they want to equip in the trenches. You want, you know, they're trying to get guys uh, at both skill positions on the offensive and defensive side. And they're doing a very good job at that right now. Um, and before we, you know, you know, we go any further, I just want to say the last time Florida had a cornerback come out of Wharton, um, it turned out pretty well. His name was Verdon Hargraves and he was one of the better cornerbacks in all of the nation. So there is a lot of buzz surrounding Dijon Johnson, even though he's not a similar player to Vernon, but it's still, you know, can be a pipeline for Florida getting defensive back talent out of that Tampa school. So there's a lot of, uh, excitement surrounding Dijon Johnson's commitment for more reasons than just one. Certainly. I mean, there are several recruits at his school right now that Florida's looking at. Stacey Gage, I believe, is visiting this weekend, too. One of the top running backs in the class of 2024. Uh, Some other defensive backs as well. And I think it's also huge to continue to unlock the Tampa area as well. We see a lot of talent come out of there. And Florida, to Mullen, Dan Mullen's credit, they did utilize the Tampa area pretty well, but we want to see Napier lock that down. And I think Dijon Johnson is a really great start to doing that. He's arguably, and I've not, I guess, broken the rankings up by players in Tampa specifically, but I'd imagine he is the highest rated player coming out of the area this year, if not one of them for sure. Without a doubt. Um, I'm not sure if he's the highest rated, but I do know that, oh, like you said, Keon, he is Keon. one of, yeah, I was yeah. about to say, Keon Keeley's out of Berkeley Prep. He's 
Uh, I mean, he yeah. what is what is he ranked? Um, number three SI? over no number three overall number one defensive end. That's what I thought. Yeah, so I, I I didn't want to. You know, there's so many I, rankings. I, I try I try to be a company <laughs> man, so I just had to defer to um that that ranking. So, but yeah, he's one of the more special talents in this class. And speaking of special talents, one thing I found interesting uh, that you said, you know, guys can kind of be drawn in from a guy like Dijon Johnson stepping into the fold in the commitment class is Dijon's instead of kind of really taking in the commitment, one of his kind of first things uh, in, in a commitment interview was to say he wants to bring the best and kind of point it at Cormani McLean, who's still, uh, you know, in the mix for Florida and, one of the, you know, the lone uncommitted defensive back that could really bring this Florida class to being the best cornerback class in the nation. So uh, I just, you know, see that. And I think this guy is serious about Florida. He's going to be a recruiter and he's going to be big for this commitment class for more than just his talent uh, in, in making 2023 the, you know, top eight class that Florida really is pushing for at this point. No doubt. And I'm uh, I'm very curious to see how they finish this up here over the next two months now until National Signing Day, roughly, uh, especially with Cormani. I think at this point, you've got a couple other targets, but he is the one that everyone has their eyes on. Uh, and with that, I think we can close out on recruiting. We've got a very big game in which there will be plenty of recruits at this weekend in Florida versus LSU. Last time I checked, the line was... Florida is a 2.5 point favorite, I believe. I think it's shifted between 2.5 and 3 throughout the week. They get the points as a home favorite. So everyone's really expecting this game to come down to the wire. And we just posted our predictions over at allgators.com. I think we can loop back to those at the end of this segment. But I too, I think this is going to be an extremely close game. I've got it a bit closer than Brandon does, but we both ultimately have it within one possession. Brandon, talk to me a little bit here about the the strength on strengths you see between these squads and ultimately where Florida's going to win, you know, some of the most important battles that Florida's going to need to win to win this game. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things to me, and I haven't, uh, this is kind of a sneak peek into my weekly X Factor series on Sports Illustrated, uh, Fan Nation Sports Illustrated, All Gators, um, is the fact that we look at these two teams and it to me comes down to Florida's red zone offense versus LSU's red zone defense. Um, prior to last week, LSU hadn't allowed a red zone score, according to Dan Orlovsky in his uh, kind of commentary of the LSU Tennessee game in 14 possessions. And by score, I mean touchdowns. So uh, don't come at me and say, you know, oh, they scored a field goal here, whatever. It was, it's touchdowns. So I think because of that we see that they are you know they might allow teams to get into the red zone but when they do they anchor down and i think because of that florida needs to kind of push forward in the red zone opportunities that they have and they've struggled in that area to this this point in the season um they're currently ranked 70th in the nation in red zone offense and meanwhile lsu's ranked 34th in the nation in red zone defense so if anthony richardson and co can punch the ball in when they're in that scenario they can they kind of capitalize on those you know, short field opportunities and make plays in the red zone to put seven points on the board rather than three, which I obviously, this isn't a knock on Adam Mihalik, but 
he's missed two field goals over the past two weeks. So it's not, and obviously that's come from 50 plus yards, but that can start creeping in into, into a kicker's mind. So it's important to be able to go down and score those points. And obviously seven is greater than three. So you're going to have that kind of necess- necessity to punch the ball in when you're in those scenarios. So I think overall, if Florida's red zone offense can figure it out against a pretty stout LSU red zone defense, they're going to be able to kind of catapult themselves into a better situation than they would if they were putting up three points every time they get into that red area. I think what's going to be interesting is obviously this does include the red area area, but also inside the twenties is Florida's rushing offense versus LSU's rushing defense. You know, I think they're missing a critical piece, obviously in Mason Taylor, but still it's a great definitely well-recruited defensive front that's allowing 3.9 yards per carry this season that being said trevor etn and montrell johnson flip them actually montrell johnson and trevor etn ranked number two and number three in the conference in yards per carry they're like both top 10 top 15 maybe top 20 i'm forgetting there's a lot of running backs um, or rushers, I guess, qualifying in the country in yards per carry. So they're up there among the top two or three best tandems in the nation, in, in the FBS. So that's another one to me where I feel like Florida can win. They may not necessarily have, you know, those back-to-back explosive gains by Trevor Etienne like we saw against Missouri, which was a good run defense. I, I, honestly, I thought it, just purely based on stats, it was entering last week at the very least a better unit than LSU's had been throughout the season. We saw the impact that Tyron Hopper specifically and some of their edge rushers were making, even safeties coming down and playing the run. It was a well-orchestrated run defense in Florida. It took some time for them to get comfortable with it, but eventually they did. I think they could find success again against this front. Again, it may not necessarily be a bunch of explosive plays, but more so gaining the necessary yardage to set up third and manageable for Anthony. And I guess that gets to my larger point. I don't know what to expect from Anthony Richardson at this point. Obviously, he's been an enigma this season that's tough to predict. But I think he can be, as long as the rushing game is setting him up in third and manageable situations, Utah Anthony Richardson, right? Nothing that flashy, but a couple of you know nice intermediate gains and all-in-all efficient football. And if the offense can do that, I think they can win. Yeah, without a doubt. I think uh, we obviously both have, you know, Florida winning in this one. Um, and that's just a prelude. We'll, we'll give you our full takes later on. But I think that, like you said, with Anthony, it's super hard to predict how he's going to play. Um, you know, you see a very good performance one week and then he follows up with the you know, kind of a dud, or you know, he looks like he's taking care of the ball throughout the game, and then throws up a, a kind of a prayer when it doesn't need to be a prayer, and it gets picked off. And it's just like, why? Like, it's just these lapses in judgment that come throughout the game that have come since Utah that kind of make you question. All right, which Anthony Richardson are we going to get this week? And as a result, you look at this offense, and I think it's a necessity to let the run offense be the catalyst to success and it's not necessarily going to be you know uh, the trio of backs that we've grown accustomed to because this is the first week we're seeing Montreal Johnson assume 
the starting role on the depth chart and Trevor Etienne stepping in as the number two with Naquan Wright, who was the starter up until now, week seven, being that kind of running back three. So there's a shakeup there, which I know, you know, anyone who's been watching Florida football can see was the necessary decision to make, um, at least, you know, on the depth chart and in the game. Um, I know Montreal Johnson's seen the field to start a few times this season, so it's not necessarily a new thing, but it shows that there is a, you know, a drastic shakeup and they're, you know, going forward with Montreal, Trevor, and then Naquan. So I think just having that kind of um, new kind of divide, I don't want to say divide, that new shakeup of players. The approach. Yeah, that new approach is going to be. We saw it against Missouri too. We, We saw the carry start to shake out in a way that makes sense. For sure. So I think just having that's going to be huge for Florida to kind of combat what LSU does offensively and and with Jaden Daniels and his ability to run the football. Which is the next point. We have to cover that. I don't think he's – I've said this before in my writing. I think Florida is truly one position away from being pretty good in the secondary all things considered i think they are tweaking some of their concepts to mask a deficiency at one position and i think people understand where i'm coming from there in terms of safety play has given up those third and longs like we saw against missouri last week it's just plays that can't happen and jason marshall at points will get some blame they're playing him in a lot of zones I understand he needs to grow as his own corner, but he's a man corner. This scheme wants to play man. What does that tell you? They're trying to hide something. They're trying to prevent the big play from going over the top of Tradine's head. Just in my opinion, from what I observe on film, obviously I'm not a coach, and if I deserve blame for assessing it wrong, so be it. But I think that's ultimately where we're at. And I think that's why Billy Napier said we can expect Kamari Wilson in particular to play more going forward. Although it was, I would assume, frustrating for fans to see Wilson then have a career low in snaps the next week. So I guess all that being said, even though we're in that position with Florida secondary, I don't think Daniels is much of a threat to push the ball downfield. His dot this year, average depth of target is 7.1. Uh, he's got a sub-50 completion percentage on throws of 10-plus yards. Maybe receivers will force some missed tackles and create explosive plays, but I don't see him pushing the ball downfield. That all being said, we've seen it time and time again. We've seen it with Cameron rising in week one uh, with Gary Bohannon nearly winning USF the game because his rushing output was so good. It opened up so much for that offense as a whole. Uh, We saw it with Hendon Hooker. Not typically the most dynamic rusher in the conference, but he just put that as a cherry on top of nearly a perfect passing day. Uh, you know, you, you get what I'm saying? I mean, even the legend of Gunner Talkington broke off on a couple of runs for Eastern Washington. Brandon is so pissed that I just said his name. Uh, but you but you see what I'm saying. Dyna- even non-dynamic rushers are giving Florida some issues from the quarterback position. Jaden Daniels is probably the most, if not the most dynamic one they'll face all year. Even though I don't view him as much of a threat as a passer, he can win LSU this game with his legs. Without a doubt. He's one of the leading rushers in the SEC. Uh, he's the by far the leading rusher at quarterback. But he's shown time and time again that he can get it done on the ground. 
So there might be situations where, you know, he misses an open receiver, but he's able to bail out of the pocket and pick up 20, 25 yards on his, on, on the ground. And that's not something that you want. If you're Florida, I think a big part of their game plan is containing Jaden Daniels. And I think, you know, they've had uh, that, those lapses against guys like Jerry Bohannon, which I can't believe we're, we're this is, a, you know, Jerry, Bo, like no disrespect to Jerry Bohannon, but I just can't believe it. It's, it's, and this is not just a this year problem. Running quarterbacks have been an issue for the Florida Gators since at least the past, what, six years, seven years. Joe, Joe Flacco's been, little brother at Towson yes, in like 2019 yes. in my first season covering Florida. It's been an issue for a long time. Florida has struggled to contain rushing quarterbacks. And I think that they're going to have to have a spy on Jaden Daniels. And whether that's, you know, and if they try to let Ventrell Miller do that, which, you know, if he's, if that means he's not playing in coverage, that's not the worst thing ever. But you're looking at a guy that's uber talented against arguably Florida's best defender. So are you willing to kind of take him out of the game to spy at Jaden Daniels? you know, and, and allow him to kind of play more freely with more guys open, the, you know, not having as many guys drop in the secondary in coverage. I think that it's just a lot. But I do think Florida is able to kind of have that as their number one focus, which should lead to a decent day, at least, uh, containing Jaden Daniels and not allowing him to go for 200 yards on the ground or 150 yards on the ground, which would just be crippling for Florida's chances to succeed against LSU. I raise you Amari Bernie as the spy. Cause I think I'm Ventrell, saying, I'm just... I think Ventrell might be, and I don't think he's an amazing coverage defender, but I think he's probably the better one of the two. Amari Bernie still is up there in the sec in terms of sacks this year. He's been a pretty good defender coming downhill, shooting gaps, creating pressure. I think maybe if you can get him to settle in and just kind of track Daniels, he might be your best option. I think it does require tweaks at safety. I think you will need to experiment with your younger players at this point. You really have nothing to lose. You only have something to gain. But if you're willing to do that, I think you can then make that sacrifice at linebacker because of the lack of explosion from their passing game at that point. I think the risk could be worth the reward at the very least. Yeah, I think, like you said, Amari Bernie playing downhill is probably where you want him at this point. Obviously, outside of the interception against Utah to uh, kind of seal that game, he's better equipped to play in that kind of downhill role. Like you said, he's one of the leaders in the nation in sacks. Um, or not sacks, but like just playing, you know, more as a pass rusher, as, as a downhill threat against these offenses. So um, just having him in that situation where he can play freely is going to be very, very important. But um, one thing I do want to say about this game in general, I think we should touch on is kind of the overall scope of what this game means, not just from a Florida perspective of losing three games straight against LSU, their cross-divisional rival, but also from a, you know, there's players on this Florida team that were slided by LSU at points. Montreal Johnson and Osiris Torrance come to mind as two guys that went to Louisiana Lafayette with Billy Napier, hit the portal, and ended up at Florida. You know, LSU didn't show them that attention that they, you know, kind of felt that they deserved. And, and they should feel that way. Because obviously Twice. both of those guys, 
Yeah, twice. twice. And so both of those guys have been huge for Florida's success. And then you got obviously recruit, you know, staffers that have served at LSU before, or um, you know, they've grown up in Louisiana and they've never got to kind of realize of their dream of going to and being a coach at LSU. Um, you, and, and then you obviously have the headman, Billy Napier, who looked like he was kind of primed to take over that LSU role. He had ties in Louisiana. He had one of the best uh, group of five programs in the nation just under their nose. And they end up going and kind of stealing Brian Kelly away from Notre Dame and kind of sliding Billy Napier there. And so you're looking at this, this kind of all these different things thrown into the mix with what LSU Florida provides. And this game means so much more for two rebuilding programs, four and two programs that have an opportunity to kind of assert themselves as the, you know, uh, in a, on a straight line to success here with the win on Saturday. I think there's so much that goes into this game that it's kind of, and it's kind of crazy with everything that we have here um, going into Saturday. There's so many storylines all across the field, and it's going to be really interesting to watch how it plays out. No doubt. And certainly it's interesting to look at it from the Brian Kelly perspective. And it's something that Billy and some of the players talked about earlier in the week, you know, preparing for a first time staff in the SEC because this is Billy Napier's first time being on that side of the coin after everyone else has done that at this point. And it was interesting that they pointed to uh, Princely for one pointed to one game, but I believe they've taken on three new offensive coordinators this year. So that has kind of helped them prep as well but you're right it's i find it interesting at this point now to look back and think of what would have happened if billy went to lsu all of these players probably would have transferred there on top of mecky garner who ended up there and has been playing pretty well you know if there's a member of lsu secondary that's been doing great it's probably been him walker howard who i believe his first ever offer was from louisiana uh, and and Jaden Daniels still probably goes to LSU because there is a tie there somewhere between him and Billy Napier from when he was at Arizona State. Just interesting. I'm just I'm just shooting off from the hip here, but it, it's funny to think about those type of things in hindsight. But regardless, I will say Napier made a very strong point that he has woken up every day, you know, knowing he made the right choice, taking the right path. He's got conviction in that, which I'm certain Florida fans are happy to hear. And in hindsight, they're going to be much happier to hear if Florida wins this game. With that being said, Brandon, let's let's dive in. We both have said that we think Florida is going to win this game, but let's let's get to the predictions. Let me know what you got. Um, I think that looking at this game, I think they're – you know, kind of in a, in a in a poor way that I said, um, it's there's a lot on the line for Florida, for the players, for the coaches. I think that this game is kind of one that they're going to put a lot of effort into to try to go out and win. Um, I think for the most part, you're going to see kind of this offense that caters to the rushing game and kind of builds um, a guy like Montreal Johnson, um, you know, as the head guy in the offense, they kind of push the ball forward against an LSU defense that they feel that they can, you know, run the ball on. Uh, as a result, I think Florida is able to kind of come out with some energy. They're kind of able to to make LSU uncomfortable early on, and that kind of rides throughout the game. And Florida is able to come out on top. I think I had the score at 31-26 in our prediction um, with Florida winning. But I think that this 
is a big game for both of these four and two teams to kind of assert themselves in their rebuilding process. So I think Florida being at home, being, you know, in the conditions of the swamp and having that kind of extra uh, juice to be able to go and perform against the Tigers is going to be what sets them apart on Saturday. That you did. You had it at 31 to 26. I have it much closer. I have it very specifically outlined that I think Florida is going to win a game of two-point tries. I think Florida is going to win 22-20. to 20. Um, I think all things considered, both of these defenses are going to play solid. I think for the reasons I outlined earlier, Florida's offense can do enough to win this game. Jaden Daniels is definitely going to do enough to keep LSU in this game. I look back throughout the season and I struggled because they don't really track this that well. And I would have to go through literally every score and I didn't want to do it. I'm sorry. I was lazy. Billy Napier has been aggressive. We know that, especially on fourth down. We've seen it on little occasions on two point tries. Brian Kelly said that they definitely considered a two point try in that Florida state game in week one in a game like this. If he meant that, I think he would, you know, pull every trick out of the hat. You know what I mean? He considered it at one point. All right, show me, Brian Kelly. Let's let's see what you're made of in this SEC environment because we know Billy Napier is going to be aggressive, you know, especially with the field goal concerns at this point where he said they're going to have to rethink their strategy of getting him into the right range, that being Adam Mihalik. They're going to go for it on fourth and short in areas where they can, you know, convert into the next field zone, as they say. I see them going for a two-point conversion at some point. Just, I, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know what the play design is going to be. I just see that type of aggression coming in a game like this, in a game where, like you were alluding to, where it just, you know, it is going to mean more to Billy Napier. Maybe it goes to Montreal Johnson, and if Osiris Torrance plays as he's on the injury report and questionable at this point with a lower body injury, Right up the gut, Montreal and Osiris, just because it'll just taste a little bit better. I don't know. I think it's going to come down to something like that. And we've seen a lot of close games out of this rivalry recently, so I guess I don't know why it would come off as that much of a surprise, but I just, I sat down to start typing this prediction on Thursday night, and it kind of hit me as I started, and I couldn't get away with it, so I ran with it. I mean, it makes sense. I. I... I respect it, and I'm not saying that's not going to happen. I think that this game will be one of um, being two aggressors kind of going at each other with Billy, you know, kind of uh, scare money, don't make money, um, don't be afraid to lose money. That's that's going to be a reality. So I think if you're Florida fan, if you're a Florida fan, expect, you know, some um, – I don't want to say questionable, but expect a, uh, a very aggressive game plan from – Billy Napier and the University of Florida on Saturday. No doubt. It's going to be fun to watch at 7 p.m. in the swamp. We will be there covering it. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. Myself at Zach underscore Goodall. Brandon at It's B. Carroll. You can catch all of our written work leading up to, during, and immediately after the game at allgators.com. And we will be back next week to record our takeaways anything that's happened off the field since then, if there's any more recruiting momentum. And, and obviously, you know, at that point being the bye week dissecting this team, we might even have to do a couple of episodes just throughout the bye week, just to really dive in on how we would grade this team seven games in. 
but with that being said, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, this show was brought to you by Bet Online. Brandon, as always, thank you for joining me. Thank you. And we will catch you guys next time. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube